0: This morning, I have a topic. And because of Christmas, I thought I would coin the topic in a Christmassy way. But as I sat there, I was thinking over the topic again and again. And I thought I would change the topic. The message remains the same. But I'll give you two topics this morning, and you pick your own. The first topic is all that glitters is not gold. The second is, do not settle for less. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you all the praise. Father, as we go into your word, we ask that you speak truth through us, that your word and your word alone shall go forth. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. This morning, we'll be looking at the Gospel of St. John chapter 4 book of John, chapter 4. But before I go into the scripture, I want to give us a brief history so that we can understand where that teaching is coming from. It will give us a clearer understanding of what that teaching depicts. Now we know that before Christ, many, many years before Christ, the Jews and the Samaritans have never been seen eye to eye. In fact, Nehemiah tells us that it, when they were rebuilding the temple, they gave them, the Samaritans were giving them a tough time. Now, King Assyria, when he conquered the land of the Jews, he took with them all the able bodied men to Babylon in captivity. And what remained, or the remain of the town, were just mostly women and children. Among those who were captive were people that we know very, very well, the likes of Daniel, Shadrach, Abednego. I'm not good with names, so I don't remember the last person's name. Meshach. Amen. Many years after they conquered, the Lord raised a king called King Cyrus to fight the Babylonians and he prevailed. And when he prevailed, he in his loving kindness decided to release over 43,000 of the Jews back onto their home in Jerusalem that they may go and rebuild their city and their temple. On them getting back to the city, the city had turned into a nightmare. The Samaritans had brought in foreign gods and pagans, and they were full of adultery and fornications and their religion, even though some worshipped God, Yahweh, but their, their worship was not in totality. They worshipped him with other gods side by side and that's why God says when we worship him we should worship him in spirit and in truth in all totality there is no amalgamation of God when we are worshiping God but this was the sort of religion that the Jews came back to find in their land and so as a result they could not associate themselves with their cousins anymore and so the land was divided And it has been, for I don't know if they're still divided, I think they are, the Palestinians and the Jews. And so we cannot say there's any love lost between those two. There has always been continuous hatred between both sides. And so St. John takes us to the scripture of chapter 4. He says the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah. Sorry. Give me chapter verse four first. Verse four. Chapter four, verse four. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, and he must need go through Samaria. He must need go through Samaria. Why would Jesus utter such a statement? He said he must, that means it's an intentional decision for Jesus to say, I must go through this place. It is for a reason that he gives that statement. That tells us that there is a reason why we are here today. Because Jesus has intended to meet with each and every one of us here. It's a conscious decision that when you were born again, where God met you when you were born again was exactly where he had intended to meet you. 25. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah's cometh, which is called the Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee, I am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why thou talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ then they went out of the city and came unto him now for those of us that know that story very well and I'd like you to when you get home and your spare time I'd like you to read it from chapter from verse one to the very end It will give you a more idea of what it is that we are discussing this morning. When the disciples came back, the Gospel, the Bible, captured their thoughts. What was in their minds was captured. Now that tells me that there is absolutely no thought, nothing we do in this secret that God does not know about. And that is a confirmation right there. That the Bible caught their thoughts and their intentions when they saw Jesus speaking to this woman. And it says, none of them said a word, but in their minds, they wondered, why is this man speaking to this woman? Now, it is one thing for us, for people to talk about us based on lies, something that never happened, but because they want to slander your name, they make up all sorts of things about you. But it's another thing when there is evidence for the things you have done that actually makes you who they are saying. So it's not that they're lying about your past, it's not that they're lying about the things that you have done, it is very much true and God knows it. The Jews and the Israel, and the Jews and the Samaritans had no business together. Absolutely no business. And Jesus knew that. Yet he said, I must go through Samaria. When the, his, his, his disciples came back, they looked at that woman in disgust because they would have realized that the women of Samaritan were women who committed adultery anyway. They were pagans anyway. They were filthy in their worship and in their lifestyle. So what is a holy man like this doing with this useless woman? And the Bible captures their mind and it says none of them said anything because they had too much respect for the master to speak against them. So it captured their minds. Now, if you read that scripture very well, it said the disciples, it didn't say one or two, it said the disciples because all of them thought in the same way. They had like minds. They were limited in their understanding and in their thinking of who God is. And why wouldn't they think like that? They've always been like that anyway throughout the Bible. The only time they had that boldness and went after Christ left. When Christ was crucified, they ran, they all ran in fear, all of them, in unity, the same way they think together. They're always united in their mindset. When Christ was saying to them, who am I to you? They were all saying the same thing. This one said Peter, this one said uh, John the Baptist, this one said uh, uh, Elijah. they were all calling in all different forms of, of, of names because they all thought in the same manner. The only one that said you are the son of God, God said to him, if it wasn't the Holy Spirit that revealed that to you, you wouldn't have said it. So their minds were similar. And this is what religious people do when they look at you and they do not see that you are like them. (laughs) what we tend to do is alienate people who we know are not of the same mind as us. Forgetting that Christ who saved you also has a plan for them. So because you are theologically correct does not mean those who are not as sound as you do not need saving. After all, why did God save Paul? After all, his theology about who God is differed from what the disciples had. And if you think about it logically, all of us at some point were of absolute filthy backgrounds. All of us. And that's why we all come here every day to give testimonies of what God has done. How he's always changing you and helping you and renewing you because where we came from was no different from where the Samaritans come from. We might all as well have been Samaritans. So Jesus knew why he had to send them away. He knew their minds. He read their thoughts their expressions when they saw him talking to this woman. And you know at times the reason why God, when he wants to bless us, at times our environment, not our environment, the people we associate ourselves with, at times can be a limitation to the things that God wants to do for us. Take for example, Abraham. He had in his circle of friends Lot, and everywhere he went, they were like Siamese twins, always joined together and going everywhere together. And his blessings was hindered simply because he associated with Lot. And until he cut Lot off before the blessings of God came upon him. So at times the association that we are within could limit the work of God for your life. We could also see this in Matthew 15:23. Matthew 15:23, where he talked about, um, you remember the woman, the woman who was crying unto God, looking for God, uh, Jesus to help save her daughter, and she was shouting, and while everybody was saying, disciples were like, shh, 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 keep quiet. The Master is passing. These people felt they were self-righteous, self-holy, that whatever they spoke was what God was speaking. So they were telling the woman to shut up, almost denying her the blessings that God had intended to give unto her. It was the same similar story with blind Bartimaeus. They said there was a crowd amongst them, and as he was shouting, "Jesus, Jesus, help me, help me," they shut him up. So Jesus understood that if these disciples remained with me when I came to Samaria to meet with this woman, they would spoil the mission. So what did he do? If you read read from the beginning of verse 1, he sent them to get food. The beginning of that, of that scripture says that he, they were famished, they were hungry and tired, all of them. And so he sends all 12 of them to go get food. Now, they come back from getting food, and this man all of a sudden says, I'm not hungry anymore. Huh? Ah. You send John, you send Deji, you send Kunle, you send Alvin, you send all my brothers here, hefty men, to go get food. All 12 for one man. He must have been pretty hungry. And he comes, they come back and he says, I'm not hungry anymore. No wonder they had that sort of thought. Uh, you sent 12 of us to go shop in Asda. We come back and you say, I'm not hungry. You said you were tired. We come back and here you are gisting with this woman. We thought we will come back, we will find you asleep. Because you are hungry, we'll have to wake you up and say, master, here is food. But he was busy in a conversation with this woman of questionable character and a questionable past. Point number three. Jesus said I would need to pass through Samaria. Why would he need to pass through Samaria? If I was Jesus, Pastor Yemi was uh, speaking when she came to take over service after the I-92 left and said the scripture that the Bible says that the the, the government of this world is on his shoulder. Jesus, mind you, is a reputable man already. This is a man that draws 5,000 people, 10,000 of people that was going from city to city, delivering people from from demonic attack and setting people free. He had a large following. If he was on Instagram today, he would probably break the record. Everyone was following Jesus and a man of such, resp- uh, of, of such reputable uh, position, if you were going to go into Samaria knowing that these people are pagans, these people are not believing the word of God, and you want to go there and deliver these people, I would think, by reasoning of how I am as a human being, I would think the best way to do it is to write to their presidents and their governors. Listen, I am coming into Samaria, roll the red carpet because I am Jesus. And I will come and teach you the right word of God so that you may teach the people. I would have thought that Jesus would have written to their their religious leaders to say, you know what, you bring your Bibles, whatever it is that you're practicing and let us compare the word of God side by side and then I'll be able to bring you into the truth of who I am. But no. What does he do? He goes through the back door as if Mexico going into US, through the back door to sit on the well and not even wait for a man, he waits on a woman. Back in those days, women are not considered. When the testimony or the parable, when we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000, it was 5,000 men. In fact, the totality of those people that Jesus fed would have been going to tens of thousands, probably 20,000, to include wives and children. So women were not even considered as people. And so Jesus goes there and he sits on a well and he waits on a woman. This woman, the Bible doesn't give her a name, a nameless woman she was, a woman of no reputation, no heritage, nothing. And that's who Jesus was waiting for. And I wanna thank God this morning that Jesus waited on me while I was in nothing. When I was a nobody, I was looked at as the most useless of, of, of people. He waited on me and he felt in his heart that I am somebody. He doesn't judge me by my past. He judges me by my future. What he sees in you is what God sees in you, and it's what he sees alone that matters. So he waits on a woman. The Bible says that he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And this morning, I want to thank God I am foolish in the eyes of God that I may be used, because for the, for, for the fact that you think yourself so highly, God will never use you. We should understand that. And that's why he preaches humility. That you need to be a humble, so that you, God can exalt you. He says he was crossing over to Samaria. It was an intentional thing. He was breaking boundaries, what Jesus was doing there. I want to break boundaries. I want to bring also these Gentiles into the revelation and into the love of God. That they also may partake of the beauty of the beautiful. uh, uh, blessings that God intends for them to receive. And that's why when God was was breaking down the Ten Commandments, when he summarized the Ten Commandments, he broke it down into two. Love God with all your hearts, with all your might, with all your strength. And he said the second one is likewise. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. Mind you, underline the word neighbor. God did not say love your fellow Christians. If he had said your fellow Christians, your fellow Christians in this scripture is referred to the household. He said your neighbour, because there's always a demarcation between you and your neighbour. There's always an erected fence. Your neighbour, meaning those you don't even likely want to associate with. and That's why you erect a fence anyway. Your household, you wouldn't erect a fence against your household. So your neighbor was an intentional statement. He was saying to us, those that you think are not deserving of God. And this festivity, those that you should be thinking about are those that you think are not deserving of the blessings of God. That you would go out of your way as Jesus did intentionally, not just as you're walking there and you just say, okay, I'll just give this one five pounds. No, you must be intentional about going out and making someone's life beautiful. Because this festivity, after all, is about him, not about us. Point number four. On seeing this woman, the first, thank you. Do you see my lips dry? (laughs) I'm not much of a talker. I might not come across that, but. (laughs) Point number four. On seeing this woman, the first thing Jesus asked her was, give me a drink. Cheers to that. <laughs> he said to this woman, give me a drink. Now, you must understand that this woman already had how many husbands? I've even lost count. In fact, the one that ever marries, I wonder what he's Don't let me go there. He says, give me a drink. Now, you should understand that Jesus is not like me, wearing glasses. His eyes are intact. He could see that this woman was coming with a fetcher and it was empty. For her to give you a drink, she would have needed to have fetched water. But before she even even got to the well, he said, give me a drink. And God intentionally puts us into a position where he will ask of us things to give unto him that will make us go back to him and request that he blesses us so that we can give him what he wants us to give him. Because there is nothing that you have that you have by your own. So when he asks for your child, it's because you would have to go back to him and say, Lord, give me a child that I may give back to you. He wants to bless this woman. He knows that this woman is in need. He could see it. That's why he came there in the first place. So for him to bless her, he creates in her a vacuum, a thirst. It says, give me a drink. Pope always uses uh, this uh, analysis or this, uh, I don't know what we call it, this, uh, sorry, what do you call it, man? Analogy. There That at times when you want to help someone, you see a chicken, I don't know how many of you have heard it, you see the chicken in the gutter, so those do you don't know what a gutter is, uh, is that an English name? I know we have it in some, it's gutter, gutter is gutter, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> You see a chicken stuck in the gutter. You know if you don't help pull that chicken out, it will die there. And as such, you go into the gutter and try to pick up the chicken, expecting the chicken who needs help to remain still that you may carry it. of a sudden, it starts shaking you and hitting you and punching you. This is someone that you want to help. And that was how this woman came across. Jesus, in his politeness and in his love, he says, give me a drink. And she's attacking him. Please wake up that young man, please, behind you, Marilyn. He says, give me a drink, and she's attacking him. Oh, by the way, you know how women could be. By the way, who are you? Are you talking to me? Are me and your people, we don't talk. We're not friends. You're a Samaritan, I'm a Jew. Blah, 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 blah. For someone who's in need of help? And that's how most of us are as Christians. We are looking for help, but we want to know, we want to show that we also know, so that we don't look like we're actually begging you for help, we want to start showing you and know, say, oh, not that I need it, but I just, just give me. Where's your humility? That's how this woman came attacking Jesus. But Jesus was patient. As he has always been patient in everyone's life here. You can imagine how many times he has blessed you, yet you go back and do the things that you promise you will not do. Some even go as far as vowing. I will never, well, you've broken your vow. Thank God he has not even alienated you. He was patient. Gradually, he was bringing this woman into the revelation of who he is. He understood her mentality. He understood her background. And this is what I want to say to us. Especially to us who are teachers, Pastor Omar, Sister Joke, uh, Sister Tokwe, the, the, the pastors, you know, the dignesses, the ministers, when we are teaching the gospel and like yourselves, I'm going to ask this man to stand up for. When you are teaching the gospel, we should understand that people themselves, everyone has a level of understanding of a revelation of God. So when we are teaching or we are trying to bring people into the revelation of God, understand that we ourselves are not perfect. That we are not on the same level because you are flying, does not mean I am not moving. I might be crawling, but I am getting there. So as we go out this festive period to speak to people, don't laugh at them when they ask you questions that you think shouldn't be asked. They need you to nurture them and bring them to that revelation of who Christ is. And Jesus was patient with this woman. Gradually, he was bringing her into the revelation of who he is. She goes from verse 15. If you could project verse 15. Chapter four, verse 15. St. John, John chapter four, verse 15. He says, the woman said, to him, sir, this is Jesus, by the way. She calls him sir. That is the level of her understanding of who he is, sir. And then if you go to verse 19, so she goes from a sir, look, to a prophet. It says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You see how God gradually brings her into revelation. And from there he goes to, give me verse 29. So he goes from a sir, to you are a prophet, to the Messiah. It's a gradual path that God brings us into a revelation of who he is. So if he's teaching us this, we that we are servants and children of his, followers of his, we need to take to his teaching and his style. That we also bring and, and relate with each other in a patient, and a loving manner that would help bring everyone to the level. Point number five and my last point. Now, Jesus uses the benefit of a comparative analysis to actually break in into this woman's mind. He uses the, 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 the analysis of a well. A well is a system where water is, is deep. There's water in a well. Now, that well has been there, mind you, since Jacob, because Jacob is called Jacob's well. It's a well that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Well, he passed the land on to his son Joseph, but the well was with it. So a well is a system of water that supplies water to that community regularly but what the well is in the physical is what Jesus is in the spiritual, the well of living waters. Now this woman has been coming to the well every day of her life. Anytime she thirsts, anytime there is a need for water, she will go to the well. On this day, she comes to the well and what she finds at the well is a well sitting on a well. Even the baby is in agreement. (laughs) She comes there and she finds a well sitting on a well. And Jesus says, which one do you want to draw from? Which do you want to draw from? Now she's confused. Do I draw from the physical or the spiritual? He was saying to her, rather than you interrogating me like you were doing since if you had asked me for my water, I would have given to you, and you will never thirst again. So sure, she's a bit confused now. Which do I go for? Which is better for me? What Christ is saying is... Because you go to your nine-to-five job every time and it gives you that, it satisfies that your need for a little bit of time and after that time, you are hungry again, you are thirsty again, you are always lacking again, you're always in demand for things, which is the physical well. Because every time you do that, it never completely fills you up. But he says, if you draw from my well, You will never thirst again. You will never lack again because I am your all sufficiency. You will not be happy today, depressed tomorrow because in me, there is fullness of joy. There is fullness of joy. And that's why he says all that glitters is not gold because that water is filling your need every now and then does not mean it is gold. So do not settle for less. And I have a word for someone here this morning who probably needs to hear this message. Who has settled for less because the well of Jacob was there first. And the Spirit of God is saying to me this morning, because Ishmael came before Isaac, doesn't make Ishmael the promise of God. You need to be patient and wait on God. In fact, the fact that Ishmael comes first tells me that the original blessing is coming soon. And that's why the devil always tends to give you an imitation, a lesser, before the original comes. So this Christmas period, I want to besiege all of us not to settle for less. Wait on God. Wait on God. It is never too late. I know 31st is round the corner and some of us are still looking onto God for one blessing. I can assure you that God is more than able to provide and meet you at your point of need. Can we bow our heads for prayer? I don't know who needs to hear this word this morning. I don't know who's looking to receive in Jesus. He is the only one who can quench your thirsts and fill your hearts. With all eyes closed and all heads bowed, if you believe, if you if you want to give your life to Christ this morning, could you just signify by raising up your hand? If you're led to give your your, your life to Christ this morning, is the name of the Lord. As we bow our heads, ask him to give you that patience.